I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. It has been just over two weeks since the mass shooting at the Covenant School in Green Hills left seven dead, including the shooter. As our city and state have come together to mourn the young children and adults who were killed in that senseless act of violence, it's the young people in particular that we want to make space for. They have gathered at the Capitol in droves, demanding tougher gun laws, begging our state lawmakers to take steps to protect their lives and our collective future. Later this hour, we'll invite a panel of young folks from different corners of our city to hear what they have to say. But first, we've got an update on the news we've been following closely here at WPLN. Last night, Nashville's Metro Council voted unanimously to reinstate Democrat Justin Jones to his seat representing District 52 at the State House. WPLN Cynthia Abrams reported that, quote, Metro Council rules ordinarily require members to wait four weeks before filling vacancies in the state legislature, but no members objected to moving faster in this case, end quote. After the vote, Jones was then sworn in on the steps of the Capitol, where he then returned to the House floor arm in arm with Representative Gloria Johnson of Knoxville, who narrowly avoided expulsion. We'll have more updates on that and the potential reappointment of Representative Pearson from Memphis at WPLN.org. Now, in other news, it was just two weeks ago that a major storm tore through the South and Tennessee was among the hardest hit states. The storm caused an outbreak of tornadoes in the region, leaving 26 dead, including 15 right here in Tennessee. In the aftermath, recovery efforts are underway and some additional federal aid has now become available. Here with the latest is WPLN editor Tony Gonzalez. Hey, Tony. Hey, Cleo. So, you know, it wasn't that long ago that many of us were bracing for this major storm. It was a tense night and there were widespread impacts. But so much has happened since in Nashville and at the Capitol. It took some time for surveyors to really pin down the storm damage. Tell us how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, this was a major storm. It was, uh, I mean, just physically large, like it covered multiple states. And when it came through Tennessee, I mean, there was really no part of Tennessee that wasn't hit to some degree by the storm that night. Uh, you know, this was going into April 1st. That, that was sort of a Friday night. It was coming in like late at night, which is also really scary uh, when the severe weather comes. So, yeah, it took a little bit of time, though, for the surveyors. They did end up confirming 12 tornadoes, mm. and a couple of those were really strong. So they, they used this uh, the scale. They were EF3, which means winds over 130 miles per hour. It's just so for context, uh, those who were here when the tornado came through Nashville in March 2020, that was also an EF3 tornado. So it was really powerful. You know, so this is knocking down, like, thousands of trees, damaging houses. Uh, I think the, the state says there were more than 500 structures that were damaged and some were totally destroyed. So a major impact. Yeah, 12 tornadoes, that's a lot. What what areas within our state were hit the hardest? Yeah. So, I mean, there was damage in a, in a wide area. There were two places in particular that had those most intense tornadoes. So first in West Tennessee, the counties of McNary and Hardin, uh, that includes the town of Adamsville, which actually kind of straddles those counties. Uh, very hard hit there. That's actually where the governor went to tour the damage and to meet with volunteers to see how that was going. And then in Middle Tennessee, uh, there's, there was a lot of damage in Readaville. This is the town that straddles Rutherford and Cannon counties, so, so to the southeast of Nashville. Many homes and businesses were damaged there, including some historic landmarks. So the Readyville Mill and a home that is known as the Corners, these are 
you know, really prominent landmarks. They date to the early 1800s. Both of those like took a direct hit from the tornado. Now, you reported that President Biden approved a major disaster declaration. What will that mean for Tennessee? Yeah, so uh, the disaster declaration actually starts at the state level. So the governor has to ask, you know, for this this official federal uh, assistance and this designation. Uh, so he did that. Once you get the declaration, then FEMA, federal emergency, uh, they can start providing help. They're going to do this for 10 counties uh, in West and Middle Tennessee. It includes some of the counties I mentioned earlier. So kind of speaking broadly, FEMA can help in two ways. First, they uh, help local governments and nonprofits to like uh, do some of the cleanup and to reimburse the government for all like the debris removal, that sort of thing. And then the second way they help is they can actually help the individuals like the homeowners and businesses get some some cash assistance. What should storm survivors do if they need help? Yeah, I mean, they should they should apply. Uh, mm. They should apply for help, even if you know if you're in the ten counties, you can apply for help, even if you don't you know totally know like every step of the process. Uh, we do have a list to the ten counties at our website and a link to go right to the application. It's also it's a pretty simple web address, so I can just share it. It's uh, disasterassistance.gov, and then you kind of walk through the process there. Um, so the grants, uh, if if you qualify for a grant, you can get a little bit of help um, getting temporary lodging, like paying for a place to stay. Uh, you can get help paying for home repairs and some other, you know, uh, replacing items that maybe weren't covered by insurance. Uh, and really, the application is a lot of us have gone through it in Tennessee in the last few years. I, I went through it personally, um, so I know it's it's pretty simple. I mean, they need your your information if you're staying in a different address. Like mm-hmm. if you're out of your home, you're staying somewhere else, mm-hmm. uh, FEMA does need that address. Uh, they'll need like social security number, a little bit of information about insurance or banking. Um, but you can do all of that. Again, it's disasterassistance.gov. Now, the state also announced some unemployment aid this week. What are the ins and outs of those benefits? Yeah, so we just uh, learned about that this week. Um, it's one of the types of sort of disaster help. So it's called disaster unemployment assistance. It's kind of a narrow program. Um, so you have to check to make sure you qualify. But this is for people who work in the in the impacted counties. Uh, actually, I guess whether you live there or if you work there, like if you're doing business in one of the counties where, you know, roads could be uh, uh, there could be you know disruptions to the roads. You could have workplaces that are destroyed. Uh, so you can potentially qualify for this disaster unemployment assistance. The deadline is pretty sharp for this one. It's May 10th. So you basically have mm-hmm. a month um, to apply for that. And there's a different website for the unemployment. So I'll mention that one. It's jobs4tn.gov. That's the number four. So jobs4tn.gov if you're looking for the disaster unemployment assistance. You know, Tony, you've been here in this newsroom for several major weather emergencies. And you've seen when FEMA aid gets offered for some of the past storms, how much aid ended up coming to Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, just in the past few years, there have been about a dozen of these uh, mm-hmm. major disaster declarations. That can be like winter storms, flooding, tornadoes, that kind of thing. The one that I think is maybe the closest to what we just experienced happened in December 2021, a couple a couple years ago. Uh, eventually, when, when folks applied, there was more than a million dollars that came in assistance to about 200 people, um, plus many more millions of dollars for the local governments, you know, kind of doing the cleanup. Uh, just for some context, though, that is less aid than like the March 2020 tornado that came through Nashville. 
that was like three million dollars for eight hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's you know there's a different scale depending on the level of damage. But I would I would imagine that there would be maybe a million dollars in aid for people who were affected this time. Okay. Um, but we'll have to see how that goes. Okay. Now we're still in the immediate recovery period. What's next for storm survivors? Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that the physically rebuilding can take a really long time, and it can look totally different, like from one house to the next. Depends on the damage, depends on the insurance coverage, uh, depends on how busy like the contractors are, like in in a particular you know city or county. Uh, so after the 2020 tornadoes, we did an analysis as a newsroom one year later, and we found that a lot of homeowners and businesses really hadn't done anything. Mm. So like even even one year later, it'd be hard to make progress. We did see a lot more of a rebound by year two. So I think realistically we're we're you know, for, for the folks who were hit the hardest, we're talking a year or two of, of effort. Um, you'll also see the local governments kind of doing the cleanup, asking for that federal assistance and the reimbursements. And then just as a newsroom, you know, we'll check back later to see if people are getting the assistance that they're applying for. Right. Tony Gonzalez is WPLN's editor for special projects and has been tracking the impact of storms and relief efforts. Tony, thanks for being here. And as always, thanks for your reporting. Yeah, you're welcome. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with local high school students to hear how they're processing the shootings at the Covenant School. If you're a student in our city, we want to hear from you. How are you feeling a few weeks after this tragedy? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. If you want to get a glimpse into the future, all one has to do is take a good look at the youth. In time, they will be the leaders of our society. But in order to lead our society, they have to get a chance to grow up. And as sad as it is to say, not making it to adulthood is becoming more and more of a widespread fear for our young folks as gun violence persists and mass shootings continue to happen at an alarming pace in our country. One thing is clear, all these tragedies, as these tragedies continue to unfold, we'll see our youth showing up in great numbers to call for change. Now we'd like to invite a few of our young folks from across the metro area to tell us what they'd like to see change. Joining me now, our high school sophomore, Ryder Hage, freshman Marley Mello, and junior Blessing and Chroma. I want to thank you all for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I want to start off by asking you all first, you know, how you first learned about the Covenant School shooting. And I know this may be tough for some of you, so we can definitely take our time. But, you know, Marley, where were you when you heard the news about the mass shooting? Well, I started off in a club meeting, and I decided to go get lunch. Um, I had never heard, or not never, I hadn't, hadn't heard anything about the shooting um, in any of my classes um, for, I guess, two hours before I heard. Um, so I went into the lunchroom, and all my friends were talking, just like the usual cafeteria. So I was like, oh, nothing's wrong. Um, but I see some faces, and I see some people, like, aren't their normal bubbly self. I'm like, hey, what's wrong? And they tell me that there's a school shooting that happened five miles from here. A lot of people are afraid, um, dumbfounded, awestruck. Like, there are, there are a lot of emotions that you can tell are going on in the cafeteria. And it was just like, 
seeing something that, I mean, I had never seen something like that before. How did you feel when you heard? I felt dumbfounded. I felt numb. I felt, um, I just didn't feel right. I felt like something was wrong. Something needed to change. Um, and it really inspired me um, to go out and change. Now, Ryder, you live pretty close to the Covenant School. Yeah, less than a mile. How'd you first find out about the shooting? Uh, so when it happened, I was at school at Ensworth, uh, which I was really lucky to be there. I feel very safe at school, and I think I'm lucky to have that experience. But I was in my French class at around 1030, and I was on my phone under the table. Mm. Um, and I just started reading these news articles, and I was, like, confused. I thought there had to have been a shooting in another place. And I was trying to figure out where it was, and it kept saying Nashville. And I was like, like, the school here? Mm. <laughs> and I kind of... They didn't have an announcement for about five minutes after I read the article, so everyone in the class was pretty much oblivious to what had occurred. And so it was really interesting. I mean, all the like keyboard clacking and talking just kind of faded away, and I was just by myself almost in the classroom. And I just didn't know what to tell people because uh, an announcement came over the speakers that we were not allowed to leave the building and that security had been hiding, and most kids were just scared and confused. But I was just sitting there because I don't—I didn't know whether to turn to like my peers and start telling them what happened, or just let them figure it out on their own. As you were sitting there in that moment of confusion, where where were your emotions at? As you felt like you were the only kid in the classroom, potentially the entire school, who knew of this tragedy. I guess initially it was just like a wave of, of kind of almost like a rage, like because I do know like kids in my class and kids in my community who have younger siblings there. And that's always been a church and a community that I viewed as very, very powerful and strong. And it was just shocking to see something that close to my house, like on the news, like the street that I walk through every day is like on national television. And I don't know, it's, it's easy to ignore the problem until the helicopters are outside your own house. Mm -hmm. Blessing, where were you? When you got the news? Um, so I was actually in college counseling, writing um, or preparing to write some of my supplementals for next year. And the thing is, um, I was sitting in my college counselor's couch and um, there was like 20 other students in the class when my college counselor randomly like went silent and she told us um, that a shooting had happened 20 minutes away from Valor. And initially, everyone was like quiet. It the the room went quiet. It was it's never been that quiet before. It was so weird. The room went quiet, and she also told us that Valor had went on a soft lockdown, so um, people like no one could come in or out, but like the students don't know. Mm. So um, initially, like because everyone was silent after like two minutes. Um, we just continued on doing what we were doing. But then later in, later on in the day, um, my school does something called circle where we like sit in a circle and talk about our feelings. Yeah. And um, what do you all talk about? <laughs> honestly. OK, so circle is kind of weird, depending on it's always once a week on a Monday and you do it with your homeroom. But once a month, you also have a different circle that is your like affinity circle. So you pick something you have in common with another person and um, they like organize you with the group of people who like have that similarity. So I was in female affinity circle and um, we were all talking about 
basically our feelings. And then one person brought up the shooting again. And like the room went silent. That was like the second time. Like, you know how when you're with your teacher and they tell you like zone zero or don't talk, it's a different type of silent. But in this case, it was when it was silent, it was like heavy silent. Mm. And um, the students started talking about it. And you could tell she was like scared. She was shaking. And the difference between being in that circle and being in college counseling, at first when you heard it, you like didn't really have a reaction because you've heard mass shootings like this happen all the time and you're desensitized to the situation. But then in the second part, like when you're in circle and you hear it again and you see your peers like actually feeling scared and constantly like being exposed to more news about what happened, that's when it like hits you close. And I was, I was honestly like starting to feel sad when I like heard that the covenant shooting was 20 minutes away and seeing all my peers just looking like afraid for their life in that moment. And we were already talking about our feelings. Like I, I didn't even know what to do. I, I was honestly frustrated. I was outraged and I was feeling sad for the families that lost, um, you know, that lost people in the shooting. So it's a mix of emotions for all of you to have. I'm sure your peers have had that as well. I understand, but talk about your families. Like, cause a lot of times they can help us process these events and, and really try to help us understand these things a little bit. You know, Marley, how, how did your family really approach when you came home from school? How did they and I can embrace you? Well, I remember after learning the news about um, the Covenant shooting, um, I texted my mom and I was like, I don't feel safe at school. And we had a conversation about it and she was just like, like, you are safe, though it may not feel like it. Like, you are in an environment where you feel safe. But also, like, deep down, like, you don't you don't feel like that when you hear of something that happened five miles from you. You just think, like, you know, I'm in a school with glass doors that had just gotten shot in at the other school. Um, the school I go to, Hume Fogg, uh, we have glass doors, um, just like Covenant. So it was hard, you know, hearing about that and thinking about that. But all of my friends and all of my family kind of got together. And I remember that day, my friends, who I consider my family, um, we all talked about it. And we had a conversation. We kind of made each other feel better about the situation. And, um, you know, we just told each other that we were there for each other. And if we ever needed anything, we could talk to them. But it was also like, you know, talking about the shooting and being there when we got new news. Um, that was that was a big thing that really helped mm. me being with my friends who I consider my family. And Marley, Marley said that she didn't feel safe in school. Blessing, did you begin to feel less safe that day? Um, something about Valor is that they spend a lot of money on security. So they've upgraded a lot of the security systems within the school. So like in that moment, I didn't like feel unsafe. I just felt angry that the fact that we at the fact that we had to like go through something like this again with something that is so close to home. And um, also there was like earlier in the year, there was something um, kind of like a school threat. But um, someone like a student went on social media and posted a whole bunch of like inappropriate stuff of like guns. And um, even though there wasn't like a direct threat to Valor, 
like all of the families were scared and my parents were especially scared. They didn't even let me go to school the next day. Mm. Um, but I don't know, like after the covenant shooting, like after hearing the news at school, I go home and I'm scrolling on social media because, you know, there's like articles constantly being posted like every single second about the news that just happened. And, um, you know, you see a whole bunch of social media posts from your like friends or people in the community, like saying thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And then some people are saying like thoughts and prayers do work. And then other people saying thoughts and prayers don't work. We need action. And I like didn't even know how to feel in that moment. And then like in like the next, I think, 10 minutes, my mom is praying for mm. the victims in the Covenant school shooting and she's like praying hard. She, you could tell you could tell she was like heartbroken. And that weighed heavy on my heart having to see my mom like pray for the lives of children and adults because of a bullet. I it, it broke my heart, mm. honestly. And after seeing all those thoughts and prayers how they don't work and then seeing your parents like praying for these victims, I it was it was hard to come by. I, I can imagine. Ryder, did you talk to your folks? Yeah, I did. And I think that a lot of families are going to be having these similar conversations right now. And I think we're lucky we're in an age group where it's almost an innate understanding of what a mass shooting is because mm. we've lived through a lot. Mm. But I think it's almost more difficult for the parents of these children who are leaving the school and they have smiles on their faces because they don't understand what had just unfolded. And that prerogative for that parent is now to explain to their child that not only were they not safe at school, but there was someone actively trying to take their life. And for a kid that's 8, 10 years old, that is just unimaginable evil intent. And I just think that those conversations are very difficult for parents to have with their kids, but it's happening all over our state because it's a conversation that needs to be had. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour with a panel of high school students about how the Covenant school shooting has affected them. If you're a student in the Nashville area, we want to hear from you. So tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, Marley, the students at your school, they planned to walk out. But school administrators said that any student who walked out would be suspended, right? Yes, they did. But I understand you all found a way to demonstrate anyway. What was, tell me, what was the message that you and your peers wanted to get across? I can't speak for all of my peers, but for me personally, I felt as if like um, they wanted to, they said that we would have repercussions because they didn't want us walking out because we aren't safe when we walk out. Now for me personally, I don't feel safe at school. So what would be the difference between staying in school and not feeling safe and being out of school and not feeling safe? So they made those repercussions for us. Um, but we decided, I mean, of course we don't want to be expelled or suspended. So we decided that we were going to stage a walkout, um, or I guess not really a walkout, but we just, they said that if we don't come to school, then we will be excused. So we decided we would show up outside of the school, show our support in the parking lot um, surrounding the area and show that we won't, you know, just let them do that stuff. You said something right here that you don't feel safe in school and you don't feel safe outside of school. <laughs> and Ryder... And bless and I saw both of you shake your heads. As a former educator, that just kind of, um, I, I just want to take this moment to apologize to you and your generations for all of this. This is really tough. And you, mm, pardon me, y'all. So 
you know, Blessing, you took time to speak at the rallies last week. What was your message to the crowd? Honestly, okay, let me give you, like, some context behind it. Um, I remember, like, a few days before, um, the person who, Miriam, who organized the first protest, uh, I remember a few days before, her friend Kelly, who I, like, work with under this organization called Awake Tennessee, she reached out to me asking me to come, um, if I was interested in saying something at the protest. And initially, I was pretty hesitant because um, I was already missing school for, like, going to the Capitol. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, like, I, I didn't know if my parents would be uh, allow me to actually go because I've already missed so much school. What was that conversation like with your folks? <laughs> um, they were like, are you, are you, are you going to be able to catch up with all the missing work? Because my grades were also kind of dropping because I wasn't there at school. So I had a lot of work to make up for. But then I, while I was talking to them, I don't know, it kind of dawned on us that I kind of need to do something like this because if I don't do it, who will, you know? Mm. Um, so they allowed me to go to the protest and I planned a speech the night before that I was going to say um, and I sent it to Miriam. But then the day that I went there or got to the protest, I don't know, it just like dawned on me that I shouldn't, this should come from my heart. Like even though the speech came from my heart, this shouldn't be something that I write and then read off of. So immediately when I took the microphone, I like just screamed out the names of the victims. And it, you could tell like these faces, seeing so many faces in the public, like thousands of people who have spent their gas money to come to the Capitol and protest for the lives of children. Like it, you could tell it broke their heart. And the message I wanted to get across was that we shouldn't be bullied by the people in our state who make the decisions. And then we should also not have people in our state who make the decisions on behalf of us not do the things we think are not making us safe or not making us feel safe. And honestly, if they use the Second Amendment right to justify why guns should be allowed in the public and gun like gun legislation shouldn't be enacted to protect schools. What is what is the whole point? Because you're seeing thousands of students saying that they're feeling unsafe, mm -hmm. but you're not doing anything about it. You can't even look them in the face. I, I want to talk about that. You know, you all are the future. And it's right. Or you mentioned it. You all have this innate understanding of these issues because you've been dealing with it your entire lives. And you guys are only 14, 15 and 16 years old. I'm curious, you know, what cultural shifts you would like to happen? Like, what do you have to say, Ryder, to Governor Bill Lee right now? Uh, absolutely. And I think this is one of the most important aspects. I think this when something like this happens, particularly, it can be eye opening for a lot of lawmakers. But there are people who are going to run and try and bury their face in the pillow. And I just think that's wrong and almost deplorable in a way. And I guess you can see what's been going on recently, at least in our like state's legislator, that it is moving away from the issue of gun violence. And these six people have died. And it's becoming um, not only like a racialized issue, but uh, a lot of other things, especially with the kicking of Justin out of the... Mm -hmm. out of the body. I don't know. It just shows that like 
there are some people who want to face this issue head on and obviously want to resolve the issue that kids don't feel safe in school. And then there's some people who think that their right to own a rifle is like superimposes that. Marley, your words to our state law lawmakers. Um, I just want to tell them that they can't silence us, that we are always going to stand up for what we believe is right. And we believe that AR-15 shouldn't be like allowed to people shouldn't have AR-15s in their hands. Um, I know personally I'm a certified scuba diver and it took two months for me to get that certification. It takes like, what, two hours to get a gun? Mm -hmm. I think that we need better um, ways to get it. That's not, that's like background checks and, and just safer ways that people can get guns and use them safely and not kill six people like they did in Covenant. Are you all hopeful that you're gonna see some changes soon? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Y'all are very hopeful. All right, tell me, where, where does that hope lie? Where does it come from? Honestly, see, just seeing my peers at the Capitol actually caring about something unified like, there's one goal, and that goal is to have gun control. And seeing thousands of students being there, trying to fight for that. And then also the fact that there are lawmakers in the legislature who want gun control as well. But they're constantly being put in that, like, um, group of people who just don't want it or who are rejected, um, rejecting that idea. And seeing um, representatives like Justin Jones and Justin J. Pearson and even Gloria Johnson fighting and standing with the people for gun control against their colleagues, that is extremely inspiring. And it's honestly like showcasing a light in Tennessee because I haven't seen a light in a long time. There's a lot of things that are messed up with Tennessee. Mm. However, with this issue having people stand together and knowing that you also have people on the other side standing with you, that is truly inspiring. And it's it's honestly giving us hope because not only is this legislative session going to finish in like two weeks, we have the rest of the year to make laws or stand alongside these people within the legislature um, and make bills to propose for next session that can honestly protect our students and protect our peers and protect the younger generations. Well, this is a long road, and I know that all of the advocates are very happy and honored to be walking it with you all. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate you all being here. That was high school junior Blessing and Chroma. She was joined by sophomore writer Hage and freshman Marley Mello. Thank you all again for being here and being such great beacons of light. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we'll come back, we'll continue our conversation with local youth reacting to the Covenant School shootings. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. 
Today, we've invited a panel of local, local youth to share how they are feeling after the recent mass shooting at the Covenant School in Green Hills. This latest tragedy has drawn more and more young folks into activism. In the past few weeks, kids in our city have made their voices heard at rallies and in protests at the Capitol. Joining me now, our high school juniors, Chloe Spangler and Israel Perez. Perez. They're all. We're all. They're also joined by senior Sophie Kavalala. Pardon me for that. And thank you all for coming to join us. Welcome to this is Nashville. So, I want to ask, like Sophie, what were your first thoughts when you heard about the shooting? I was sad. I was really sad. I remember sitting there and looking at everybody. Everybody's finding out about the shooting around me and nobody, everybody looks at it and everybody's sad, but everybody moves on with their day because they're so used to it. Nobody, people care, but people are so desensitized that something like this is not insane to them. This isn't something out of the ordinary. It's just, it was so near my house, so near people I know's house kids at my school, siblings that go to that school, people that went to that school. I pass it every day and you see a name and you don't realize that actually like that happened there, that that name in the New York Times, that that's right next to your house, that this could happen anywhere. I feel like throughout my life, I keep hearing about school shootings and I feel like they just keep getting closer and closer. We just don't know when will it be us next. Mm. Um, and I think that my student body specifically really felt that fear. Sounds like you had a little bit of fear and anger mm-hmm. in there. Did Chloe, did you kind of feel the same way? I was definitely, I think at first, very sad. Like I was feeling a lot of grief, especially for the families and their loved ones. I just can't imagine waking up in the morning and then not being able to see your loved one again. Um, but after it quickly turned to anger, as I realized that this could have been preventable, and um, that certain things have been put in place that allowed it to happen. And so I was just very frustrated with my school, with the government and like everything that I was around at the time, because I feel like lives were lost and they didn't have to be. You can be honest about this. Were you frustrated at adults? I know a lot of the trope is teenagers are frustrated about adults <laughs> on trivial things. But this is this is real. I was, I think the way that adults and like people in power chose to handle this situation really reflects on how they see us children. And I think that they did not handle it the way they should have. I was frustrated by seeing how dismissive they were towards our fears and towards the people that had lost their lives. Israel, tell me. What was what was described for me the energy in your school? Like, how did your your peers and staff react to this news? Um, obviously, we were all sad and angry um, at this devastating news that we heard, and we wanted more information about that we couldn't get. The energy in the school you you could just feel it, no matter what room you walked into, no matter where you walked into. It could be the bathrooms, and you could still feel how sad it was. Um, you just hear everyone whispering and just chattering about how old they were or who the shooter was or what drove the shooter to do this. And it was just so devastating that it was hard to focus on just school in general because it just makes you think whether you're going to make it to see your next birthday. 
because you never know what could happen. You all expressed emotions of anger and sadness, but you know, you've been experiencing this your entire lives. And are you worried that this, that, that having gone through this trauma, having to have, having to do, I don't know, how, how many active shooter drills do you all do per school year? Three or four? Yeah. 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 Right. You've been doing this since kindergarten. You know, mm-hmm. this is a repeated, it's like the cycles of the season for your lives. How, how, do, how do you look at the future? Having been, having this be your experience in your long, young life so far, Israel? I look at the future and hopefully I, I just, you know, I just pray. I'm not a very religious person, but when it comes down to it, I, you, all you can really do is just put your faith in it and just be like, all right, I'm going to live my day one day at a time or I live my life one day at a time. And hopefully I'm going to be able to achieve stuff because it's, it's pretty sad that you're, n- you're not even able to see middle school and you don't even know if you're going to be alive to see your mom after you get out of school. It, it's really devastating that someone could go after elementary students. And it's just like, they, they should have been able to live their life. They should have been able to experience things that we all have experienced so far. We all made it through elementary school and we probably all talk about what it was like to this day. They won't be able to do that because all those students are traumatized. And so the future for me is just hopefully living it one day at a time and hoping to see it. Now, Chloe, I understand you jumped into action immediately after finding out by creating an um, organization known as Nashville Students for Change. Talk to me about why it was so important for you to take such quick steps in getting that together. I, um, ever since I have known, have been aware of gun violence and I have been scared to go to school. I have a lot of anxiety around school and I'm sure a lot of other students do too. Um, and once the shooting happened, it just really makes it more personal because something that happens that close to you makes it feel that it is just more likely to happen at your own school. So I felt like all I could do instead of just constantly being scared, constantly um, trying to think of what I would do if I was in a shooting, I could try and actually do something to change it and make sure that my voice and my peers' voices are heard um, when we're usually looked down on. How'd your peers respond to that? Um, so far, I've had a lot of support. I know that there are some people at my school who um, don't really like to advocate or may not agree, but I definitely have had a lot of people um, willing to put forward efforts to help make change and help um, in the protests that we've been having recently. Now, uh, Sophie, I understand you worked to organize a bunch of your peers to show up at one of the rallies last week. Tell me, why was that important to you? I think I come from a school that's very politically active. Um, I know a lot of people at my school also have really similar views for, like as me. And I think organizing people, I thought that that was the first concrete step that I could really take towards change, protesting. Um, I called calling our legislators, petitioning. At this point, I think within Tennessee, especially, I mean, we have one of the lowest voter turnouts. And how am I going to get the people that represent me to hear me? I thought it was important to go to the Capitol for them to really hear what we want and also see our faces. People love to talk about change and how it's going to happen, but like we need our government. And when our government isn't responding to us specifically, 
putting in place, like in 2021, Tennessee passing a permitless carry law, like it, it doesn't reflect us. They aren't reflecting us. So I think it was necessary. They had to listen to us. You also serve in the mayor's youth council, right? Yes. Did you talk to any of your peers on that council? A lot of people in that council have also been at rallies, have also been at protests. And I think that everybody is fed up regardless of what side you're on. This is a bipartisan issue. Like this is kids' lives. Um, And I think that our youth is very ready for a change. And Tennessee should be putting in stricter gun laws that actually reflect the views of their citizens. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour with local high school students from across Nashville to see what they feel about the Covenant school shooting and how it affected them. And we're also asking them what they would like to see change. Tweet us your thoughts at This Is Nashville. Now, Israel, you participated in a walkout last week as well, right? Yes, I did. What was that like? Um, it, it was it was crazy coming building up to that day that. It was there was going to be a walkout. I know uh, the school district didn't want us to do it. I know they were saying there's going to be punishments and all that. But it, thankfully, my school understood. And so they said, you're just going to be marked absent. You're not going to be suspended or any of that. But they also uh, contacted the Metropolitan uh, Public Transportation. So they gave us our own bus mm. and we were all able to go on that own bus to the Capitol and as far as it goes, they dropped us off at that bus station right next to the Capitol. Okay. And so from there, we walked up, and I had a couple of my friends with me. And just being at that protest just gave me chills. But not only that, it brought a lot of anxiety, too. That was my first ever protest coming. That was my first ever protest, ever going to one. Mm-hmm. And so that brought in a lot of anxiety because I almost feel like if we use our voices, um, yeah, we can make a change. But at the same time, it puts a target on our backs. No matter what, there's people that are not going to agree with our gun control or what we're trying to do as students, but that puts a big target on our back. And with a big, large, with the large crowds, I had to, I had to step aside and make sure everything was okay because your safety is not, is not, how do I say this? It's not granted. It's not going to be there a hundred percent of the time. So it's up to us to make that call. And so for me, I could speak for me is it was, it was a little anxious. It was a little scared. But when it came to that that protest, it was it was something that will give you goosebumps if you sit there as an adult. You can just see all these faces. Chloe, Sophie, he's talking about, you know, when you put yourself out there to fight for a cause, you do become a target for people who dissent, disagree, and sometimes um, that can get ugly. Does that cross your minds at all, Sophie? Um, it definitely does. Definitely crosses my parents' minds also. Um Throughout my life, I've always been protesting. Um, Even I remember in 2018, I was in seventh grade and I went to a March for Our Lives protest. And just five years later, like I'm 18 years old and I'm at another March for Our Lives protest. It feels so routine, but it's how else am I going to get my voice heard? I need to advocate. I need to show up. Um, People need to tell our legislators what we want and what we need. And especially after what happened last week with the Tennessee Three, I think that I was really hurt that our government would take such drastic steps to prevent us from using our First Amendment rights. Um, I I think protesting for me is always important and just really making active change within our community. Now, 
you know, Chloe, Sophie said something earlier about legislators, legislators and lawmakers looking you all directly in the face and ignoring you. What message do you want to send to them? Oh, that's a, <laughs> I have a lot of things I'd probably say to them. But the first thing is that um, if I was speaking directly to them, I would let them know how much they are failing us as the future leaders of this world. They are looking us in the eyes and they are letting us die. They are putting their firearms and their Second Amendment rights over our lives, our future, and the lives of nine-year-old kids. So I feel the thing I would say to them that I think is the most important is um, that they need to start taking the responsibility that comes with being in a position of power instead of just taking the benefits mm. that comes with it. Now, this event has tragically affected our entire state. And, but some young people have experienced gun violence in their lives. It's pretty easy for young people to get access to guns. Israel, you were actually a guest on a PBS special recently about this. What do you want to share about this particular issue? Just how easy it is to get a gun. I mean, I come from... I come from a very low income. I came from a low income family. I could say now that we moved over here, we're able to get steady, but I'm from Los Angeles and that's where the biggest, like, yeah, it's, it's with the strictest gun laws, but you could get a gun no matter what. Like if I wanted to go, I could walk down the street and purchase a gun with no serial numbers, everything unmarked. And so that's something that needs to be stopped because I've been around guns my whole life and I've actually been in, face-to-face with a person with a gun, mm. been held at gunpoint. And that's something that you don't want to have happen. That's something where you don't know if you're, like I said, you're not going to know whether you're going to see tomorrow. So I, I feel like this whole gun, this gun control needs to get like stepped up a little more. Like she was saying, the position of power, like we're going backwards, if anything. Sophie, talk to me about how that makes you feel hearing that it's so easy for kids to get guns? I think for me, it's really frustrating. Um, I think the fact that there are over 400 million guns in this country, more guns than people, is embarrassing. I think that weapons such as AR-15s should never be in circulation, weapons that are made solely to kill people. You don't hunt with those guns, you kill people. Um, and I think that we should have stricter gun regulations, for sure. Um, I also think that like our legislators that are in taking money from organizations such as the NRA that are getting endorsed and putting those, putting that money, putting those endorsements above kids' lives, I think that they also have blood on their hands. Um, I think that we just need to have stricter gun laws. And I completely agree with what Israel is saying about how I, it is easier for me right now to go and buy an AR-15 probably than go buy m like most other things, how it is in Tennessee specifically. I mean, you just saw in Louisville what happened. The shooter legally purchased an AR-15. Why were they allowed to purchase an AR-15 to begin with? Mm. I wonder what you all have to say to regular adults like myself, the ones in your neighborhood, your neighbors, the people you see at the grocery store. Chloe, what do you have to say to them about this issue? I know a lot, especially like my mom, my dad, and um, 
other parents, they this hit home for them a lot too, and so they're also trying to seek change. So I would I think speaking towards the people who think what we're doing is stupid or um, possibly even an insurrection, mm. um, I think to them I would say that it, there's a certain time when you put your activities aside, like going to a shooting range and playing with a gun, um, and you prioritize the lives of innocent people and the people that you see walking on the street every single day um, that are innocent and unassuming. So, Israel? Um, I, I really just want to say is, um, I had it in mind, but teach, no matter what we do, they're not going to ban guns. They might get stricter, but no matter what we do, there's always going to be guns. There's always going to be guns made. But I do want to say, teach your kid the rights from wrongs. Half of these parents that are are the parents of the school shooters don't teach their kids about the guns. They only teach them about the bad it does. It's one thing using your gun to protect your family in your own home. But once you leave your premises, you don't need a gun. So teach them how to use it. When's the right time to use it in your own house or when you need to protect yourself? That's the only time. So if I got about 30 seconds left, I want to give you the last word. Tell me this. What are your hopes? My hopes are for a future where kids like me go to school and they're not afraid. Um, my hopes are that our government starts listening to us. Um, and my hopes also include, like, we hope that our politicians start prioritizing us. I want to thank all of my guests. That's high school junior Chloe Spangler and Israel Perez and high school senior Sophie Kavalala. I want to thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for your leadership and your poise. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. McKelly Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Miriam Albufazi. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. You can Find us on Instagram and let us know, know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.